At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week, I had the pleasure of talking with Cheryl Day, the founder of Back in the Day Bakery in Savannah, Georgia, and New York Times bestselling author of the cookbook by the same name. And most recently, the founder of Janie Q Provisions and author of the new book, Cheryl Day's Treasury of Southern Baking. We are going to get into lots of pie inspiration and pep talks from Cheryl in a little bit, but first, here she is to let us in on more about the ingenuity, the recipes, and the stories of Southern bakers that she felt were so vital to preserve in her new book. I really want to shine a light on the creators of Southern Baking, mm -hmm. and um, I really want to share the legacy and the heritage of these recipes, some that I've been baking myself family recipes for years, others recipes that I've kind of uncovered. I want to make sure everyone understands the importance of keeping these treasures alive and how important that is to American culture. And could you share a little bit more about how you uncovered these recipes in your own family and, and elsewhere? Sure. So I was very fortunate, well, fortunate Unfortunate and then fortunate. I lost my mom when I was 22, but she left me, um, thank you. She left me this beautiful journal uh, written in epistolary um, in letter form. Uh, so she left letters telling me all about our family history, uh, recipes, stories, Many that we shared together when we were baking. My mom was 42 when she had me, which was kind of very unheard of. Good for her. At the time. And, um, you know, and she was a career woman, but she loved to tell stories. She was the best storyteller. And she left me this journal with so many of the recipes that I kind of um, still use today. And then also I really reached out in my community and sometimes cookbooks would just turn up on my doorstep mm. from community, um, you know, bake shop cookbooks or church cookbooks. And I poured through those and it took many years to write this cookbook because I really did want it to be not just my personal story, which it very much is but also the story of so many other Southern bakers and a lot of women in particular who, um, you know, just left these traces of genius. 
That's so interesting that and and so touching that people would leave you cookbooks on your doorstep too. Would they like you know, leave little bookmarks of their favorite recipes or or notes or anything like that? They would. And I have this huge stack of them, you know, just the spiral bound cookbooks. Some of them, some of them were kind of like fancy bound these churches, you know, and mm. all of the aunts and all of the women that um, edited the books and they took it really seriously. Mm-hmm. It was so much a you know, a love letter to making sure that these recipes weren't being erased. And I just take that legacy very, very seriously. Are there any favorite recipes that come to mind that you found in in some of these community cookbooks? Yes, actually. And um, now that we're getting close to the holidays, one in particular Um, And, you know, a lot of times you'll have family recipes, they're very much oral accounts, and some things do get lost in all families. But apparently, I would say in black culture, it seems to be very common where recipes weren't written down. But so in one particular uh, stack of books, I noticed that the cornbread dressing recipes always had an ingredient that I could never figure out what was missing when I was trying to recreate my mom's um, Southern cornbread dressing. And one rest, one ingredient that I noticed that was very prevalent is egg yolks. I'm, I'm sorry, egg boiled eggs. Oh. Um, and so they would boil the eggs and cut them into, you know, dice them and they would fold that into the dressing. And it's, I started talking to other uh, women in my community and they said, oh yeah, everyone does. <laughs> and it was something that I just didn't really remember my mom doing. I remember that she did, you know, put eggs, but I didn't remember the boiled eggs part. And so, yeah, that's been really interesting. And they kind of, you know, they kind of melt away when the final uh, dressing is made. Hmm. It's not that you really see them. But they are, it does create this richness that I really love. So after seeing that in the other community cookbooks, do you feel like you were able to get closer to your mom's version? Did did that kind of fill in the missing puzzle piece? It really did. It really did. And here I'm a baker, so that's kind of unusual. I don't do a lot of cooking, but there's certain times of the year and Thanksgiving is definitely that time. And the holidays when I love to recreate those recipes. My job is usually to make the cornbread and the bread that's going into the dressing, but I really wanted to be able to create the whole recipe. And that really did fill in that little puzzle piece for me. Wow. I never would have thought to add eggs in that way, hard cooked eggs. And I, if I did, I would have expected them to kind of make their presence more known. That sounds so good. Yum. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> we always make my grandmother's, well, I call it stuffing, but it's it's dressing, I guess, technically. Right. Uh, I kind of go both ways. My husband, I think, still calls it stuffing. Uh-huh. But as long as there's cornbread in there for me, that just makes it Southern and special. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like this might be the my first inspiration to add to my grandmother's recipe, though, because it, it's always the same. We always do the same thing year after year, but I would love to see what the hard cooked eggs would do to it. Now, do you usually just use bread croutons or? Hers is um, 
a box of Jiffy corn mm-hmm. mix, uh, cornbread. Okay. okay, so there is corn. There is cornbread. Mm-hmm. She's from Oklahoma originally. Um, oh, okay. She was. Um, uh, we actually just passed what would have been her hundredth birthday, but she passed away a couple oh, years wow. ago. Um, but she, uh, yeah, corn the the Jiffy mix, the some white sandwich bread torn up, mm-hmm. celery, onions, um, mm-hmm. poultry seasoning, and all the giblets in stock. I think that's it. Right, all of those mm-hmm. things. But I just was. I always felt like something was missing. I would add more sage, and that kind of pulled it together. But I'm telling you, these boiled eggs. That is just like, you know, and it doesn't take a lot of them, but you just boil them, chop them, and then they just, you fold them in there and it's just delicious. So I hope you will try it. I, yes, I, I'm really excited. Um, I, I, it'll be interesting to see what my family thinks about it too. I bet they'll love it. Um, in the intro to your book, you talk about learning about your great, great grandmother, Hannah Queen Grubbs. Could you share a little bit about what she was like and what desserts she was known for? Well, obviously, this is, again, from my mother's stories, because she did Mm -hmm. live until she was over 100 years old, but she was born somewhere around 1838, the best that we can discover. But she was a tiny woman. Apparently, she was small and mighty and was known for her biscuits, oddly, since that's something that I've become known for. She was known for her gingerbread cake that she cut into squares, and she was known for her pies, cakes, all sorts of cakes. But one thing that really resonated with me when I would read my mom's journal, and you can imagine having lost my mother, I would turn to the journal every now and then when I kind of just wanted to feel closer to her. And every time I would read it, something would jump up in front of me, depending on the different, you know, points of my life that I was in. So one particular thing that really stuck out to me was my mom described these cakes. She made small cakes and she said specifically um, that she would frost them in delightfully colored pastel frostings. And I just really had to kind of stand in place the first time I remembered reading that again, because I am known for cupcakes. Like we call them old fashioned cupcakes. It's still one of our best sellers at the bakery and they're in these pastel tents. And I just thought, wow, that's just really interesting. And then I became fascinated with the fact, how in the world did she make these tents? (laughs) And so in the book, I did add a little section on kind of my ode to her Mm. and how I thought maybe she may have done that with natural food colorings. That is so amazing that you're in a way just kind of like walking in her footsteps, but in your own path. Exactly. Yeah, it's amazing. I feel like a lot of um, my life has been that way, especially in... um, the culinary field, I do feel a lot of the work that I do is basically, you know, taking um, nostalgic and historical recipes and somehow bringing them into the here and now. And that's something that I really pride myself on, as well as finding what people crave these days. So yeah, it's been, it's, it's really, it's fun to think that baking is literally in my DNA. (laughs) 
Well, that is definitely one thing that really stood out about your book, just how much recipes carry histories with them, um, which is is definitely something I feel strongly about in, in you know, sharing the genius recipes that I do. Um, could you share a few more of these sorts of uh, histories and in, in some of the recipes that stand out to you in the book? Maybe um, I'm thinking of the, the chess pie and the transparent pie. I had never heard of transparent okay. pie before. Um, yeah, uh, chess pie, I mean, there's a lot of, I wouldn't say controversy, but it kind of depends who you ask about how the name came to be. And I don't know, the one that makes most sense to me is that it sounds like chess pie, or some people said that mm -hmm. it was a chess, you know, like in a chest or, but the story that I've heard the most in my community is that a um a black woman would uh, make these pies and and she was asked you know what's what kind of pie is this and she responded it's just pie and then it just kind of morphed into chess pie and that's a story that makes most sense to me and so that's that's the one I kind of um resonate with the most um and the transparent pie that's very similar it's an old-fashioned sugar pie that became famous in the frontier days by a small bakery in Kentucky. Apparently, George Clooney is obsessed with transparent pie because I guess he's from Kentucky, but it's just sugar, eggs, heavy cream, a little bit of flour, and vanilla. And it's just, just simple and delicious. My favorite thing about what I do is that I think simple in baking is really special. It can be very special. Um, I do like to play around with certain ingredients to elevate the flavors, but I think that if you really let the ingredients be the star, that that is really what makes something special. Like there's, for instance, the apple pie. So take the all-American apple pie. It's a very simple recipe, but what I do is I uh, marinate the apples overnight in the spices and the sugar, and that allows the juices to, um, you know, develop and flavor. Mm. And then the next day, I'll take the juices and with a little butter, cook that down in a saucepan, and it creates this delicious sauce and then I toss that back into the uh you know the apples and toss that into the pie crust but the other thing that really makes it very historical and nostalgic is that I use rose water and that's an ingredient that was very popular it's actually um apparently was one of the first um, flavorings that was ever used because if you think about it it's easy to make rose water from your garden vanilla was not something that would have been well known so um, I use the rose water and then I like to mix nutmeg and cinnamon and you know sometimes cardamom and just really elevate those simple flavors and then of course there's the pie crust which is just to me, a pie crust is the pride and craft of Southern baking. You can see I'm very traditional. Well, you're traditional, but um, very thoughtfully traditional and sometimes unexpectedly so, like with the rose water. Like I, I never would have thought that that was 
something that has a, a deep history in Southern baking to, to add rose water to things like apple pie. Yeah, it's really, in fact, I make, when I make jam, we put rose water in. It's something actually that my mom and my grandmother used to do. They used, and, and maybe this is something that's just an old fashioned technique, but they would go in the garden and, you know, so that things wouldn't go to waste, they would use the petals mm-hmm. and they would make, basically hydrosols out of the the leaves Mm -hmm. and so we would have anything from rose geranium leaves that they would make water rose water um, verbena just all sorts of botanicals and they did find their way into our baked goods hey it's Kristen. if you're enjoying this chat with cheryl as much as i did head over to the genius recipe tapes and hit follow so you don't miss out on other stories like this one. And like our recent conversation with Mayuk Sen on his new book, Tastemakers, and the seven immigrant women who have forever changed the way that Americans cook and eat. In the second half of this episode, we will do a little pie matchmaking session with Cheryl, which I predict will make you very hungry and feel better prepared and so excited to bake pies for Thanksgiving, no matter if you baked zillions of pies in your day or none at all meet you back here for that. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great in clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great in clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. I would really love to do a little pie matchmaking session. Okay. I was thinking I'd love to hear from your book which pie or other dessert would you recommend for someone who is a pie lover and someone who is who thinks that they are a pie hater. Oh wow. Someone who thinks they're a pie hater. Are they really those people? There probably are. I would say I would love people to try the sweet potato pie because I feel that most people, you know, tend to always go with pumpkin pie, but the sweet potato pie, it's definitely, um, it's just a special flavor and the way that we season it, it has all of the same warm spices that you would have you know, with pumpkin pie and the pie in the book, we did a beautiful meringue top. And I just don't think anybody would be upset about that. I mean, I think people would be excited about that. And for Thanksgiving, I think it would be delicious. I don't think you can hate pie when you see that. (laughs) (laughs) And then a pie lover, would you recommend the same? Pie lover something different. 
for Thanksgiving. I mean, I think that would be the same. I am so much of a, I, I just love tradition so much. Um, but I'm going to say for the pie lover, I'm going to say the uh, all-American apple rose pie. I would love for the pie mm. lover to try because it's double crusted and it is, like I said, with the ma macerated apples and the caramel and it's a little bit salty and caramelly. Actually, that might be good for both. Both of those sounds so good. Um, the, the last sort of category would be a beginner versus an experienced baker. A beginner baker should start with the shortcut crust, which is basically almost like a cookie crust, but you can cheat and you can crimp the sides and make, make people think that it's like a, a pastry crust. But it's it's literally you just toss all the ingredients in the bowl and um, you add melted butter to it. And then it's almost like a shortbread mm -hmm. crust. And then you form it into the pan and you kind of you can kind of crimp the sides or fork it or, or pinch it just to make it sort of look like you crimped it. So I would do that and I would do the uh, pecan pie super simple to make. And again, for Thanksgiving, perfect on the table, but that shortcut crust is the way to go for a beginner or also any cookie crust, I think is always super easy, but if you want to kind of up your game a little bit, I would definitely do the shortcut crust with, um, pecan pie. And what does the texture of that one come out like? It is very much, it, it does have a little bit of flakiness to it, but it is kind of short, short bready texture, very buttery, kind of that short, um, that short bread kind of crisp texture and it's delicious. Yum. Um, and then for an experienced baker, what's like a, a showstopper? I would do the extra flaky all butter pie crust. You know, I think someone would love to master that crust. It's just such a great technique. I've gotten emails and notes from professionals and experienced bakers, even beginner bakers with their little, um, you know, feeling a little gutsy to try it for mm -hmm. sure. But practice makes perfect. It's a simple method, but you're cutting in the butter into you know, the flour and I do frisage method where you smear it and fold it and make all these millions of layers. I would probably do either the sweet potato in that crust just to make it a little bit different, or you could do the pecan pie in that crust. And I think that'd be really good. Well, do you have any tips, any pep talks for people baking on Thanksgiving, maybe who don't bake all that often. What are the main things that they should be thinking about and looking out for? I think first of all, start simple and start early. <laughs> um, <laughs> one thing I think a lot of folks don't think about, and maybe since I've owned a bakery for so long, it's something that I've discovered over the years is that you can actually make your apple pie from start to finish, and you can freeze it a couple of weeks in advance. 
And then that way, and I talk about this in the book, but in that way, you don't have the pressure because goodness knows we have enough pressure around the holidays. We don't need any more. So I would say maybe think about making something that you want to really try and do it in advance or try something really simple. I've got Mm -hmm. some really great bars in the book. And that I think is a great, you know, pie bars are really fantastic. You can make really any pie into a slab pie or a bar. And I just think that that's something that with a crowd is really a great thing to bring to the table and practice makes perfect. You know, don't be so hard on yourself. Every time you do it, it's going to be better. And with those slab pies and bars, they're a little more forgiving if, if your filling right. is looser or firmer or whatever, like it kind of melds into a bar shape. Exactly. Exactly. So I, and then you can make a cookie crust with those. You could do a shortbread crust and I've got lots of great bar recipes in the book. Um, there's a salted honey pie bar that is in the book that is so easy to make. Think of it like almost like a, a burnt honey or caramelized um, chess pie bar. And that is super easy to make. They slice beautifully. Um, we have um, brown sugar jam blondies that I think is another great bar recipe. And that would be super fun if you could pick up some cranberry jam or some sort of seasonal jam to swirl into the bars. I think that's a really simple recipe too. Perfect. Well, what is going to be on your Thanksgiving table this year? (laughs) Um, I definitely always have all the things, (laughs) (laughs) even though I will have a very small, it's usually very small table. Um, It might be just Griff and I, but I still have to have the uh, cornbread stuffing or dressing and we'll have usually probably we'll do either a small turkey if we can find it or turkey breasts and we will have sweet potato pie apple pie we'll have both and we always have cranberry like fresh made cranberries with orange zest and a little liqueur well that all sounds delicious and I like the one pie per person too yeah for sure (laughs) (laughs) because there's neighbors, you know, you just never Mm -hmm. know. I always grew up with, you know, that's not the case now, obviously, but I may take, you know, a half a pie to my neighbor or, you know, who lives by Mm -hmm. themselves. Or I just love that, how baking really connects people. And that's something that I really try to continue to do even in these times. So if I have to wrap something up and drop it on someone's doorstep. I love to do that. And just think of somebody that may not have the same Thanksgiving traditions or, you know, they may be alone. And I just, I just love that baking can connect people. That's why a lot of the recipes that I do for breads and loaf cakes, I always have the recipe make two, because I think that it's something that people should continue to do think about a neighbor or someone that they may not normally get to meet that they can drop something nice off on their on their doorstep I love that and having been the recipient of things like that it just it just makes my day I would love to be your neighbor (laughs) 
Thanks for listening. And my thanks to Cheryl Day, founder of Back in the Day Bakery and Janie Q Provisions. Her new cookbook is Cheryl Day's Treasury of Southern Baking, out November 9th, just in time for the holiday baking blitz. This week's show was put together by Coral Lee, Amy Schuster, and Emily Hanhan. If you have a genius recipe, maybe your favorite recipe to bake and share. Mine, by the way, is my mom's banana bread. I would always love to hear from you at genius at food52.com. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes and the Food 52 Podcast Network, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find the show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating or review or send this episode to someone who would also love to be the recipient of a surprise bonus pie on Thanksgiving. Thanks so much. Talk to you next week.